for Thursday, September 23rd, 2021. This is Did You Wash Your Hands? We're a podcast from WABE, answering the questions everyone's asking during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm health reporter Sam Whitehead. Today, confused about COVID-19 boosters? It's because the science and policy around them isn't simple. Everybody's moving as quickly as possible. And so if that means the, the, the companies are getting out ahead of the agency's regulatory authority to review their data, then that's what we're seeing in real time because everybody's moving as quickly as possible. Sarah Jane Tribble, a correspondent with Kaiser Health News, joins me to dive into how we got to where we are with boosters. It's a backstory that stretches back to January of this year. That's next. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Sounds Like ATL is a music documentary series that takes an in-depth look at the artists amplifying Atlanta's famed music community. Built around a desire to highlight Atlanta's diverse and world-renowned music scene, each episode features unforgettable, intimate musical performances by fresh new musical guests, each with exclusive interviews about the stories behind their music. Listen at wabe.org or wherever you find your podcasts. Federal regulators are just now finalizing their recommendation for COVID-19 booster shots, pushing right up against the deadline when the Biden administration said they'd be available. But scientists at the National Institutes of Health started talking seriously about the issue all the way back in January. That's according to recent reporting from Sarah Jane Tribble with Kaiser Health News. She's with me now for more. Sarah Jane, thanks for talking with me. Thanks for having me. When did top scientists in the federal government really start thinking about, talking about, and maybe even working on booster doses for these COVID-19 vaccines? Right. So this was sort of a headline for me when I began the reporting on my latest story, and that is this idea that the NIH scientists have been talking actively about booster shots since January. And if you think about that, that's before most of us got our initial shots of coronavirus vaccine. And it was when we were all still worried about finding vaccine hunters, how we're going to get those shots. And in the midst of us getting our initial shots, they were already working on the boosters. And NIH, this is the National Institutes of Health, yeah? Yeah, the National Institutes of Health. And these are sort of the bench scientists who do the early research into vaccines and other diseases. And what did those conversations, what did that work look like at that time? 
Right. So we were talking to a couple of scientists there um, within the NIH, and they work underneath Dr. Fauci's division. Dr. Robert Cedar is one of them, and Dr. Daniel Duick is another one that spoke with us about some of the research they were doing. Bob Cedar, in specific, was working on animal models and um, looking at the vaccine, primarily the Moderna vaccine. He did a non-human primate study. And so back in the fall, when they were looking at the vaccines themselves, he told us that, you know, the idea of, a, of vaccines, you just know, as folks who have done this for the career, you want to put some animals on the bench and look at them long term and short term. You want to look how well those vaccines are going to work out going forward. It's just something you automatically do as a scientist. So even in the fall, they had had some animals that they were looking at trying to decide whether these vaccines would work. And so in January, when um, top scientists there said, hey, we need to think about boosters, they were already prepared. By February, scientists at the NIH were helping coordinate an international group of scientists, both from U.S. federal agencies and then also across the globe in the Netherlands and Israel and elsewhere. These scientists were actually looking at the variants across the globe and getting very concerned about some of the things they were seeing. And that was, you know, late January, early February. By February 12th, they started having weekly meetings every Friday with these 60 to 70 epidemiologists, virologists, experts from across the world talking about things. They divided themselves into subgroups to look at sort of tracking the vaccine, the, the variants um, to coronavirus, and then also kind of collecting specimens and testing them in labs. That was starting back in February, where this group of international scientists were working together. It seems then these early conversations were focused on variant-specific boosters, which is maybe a little different than the conversation we're having today about boosters. Do, do I have that right? What got their attention, these scientists, was the fact that the coronavirus was mutating and becoming something new and something more dangerous. At that time, Delta wasn't their concern. It was a different variant. And so they were watching this and trying to decide what kind of um, medication would work, right? If the current vaccine we had would work or if something else would have work. And I should pause and say vaccines, not vaccine, because we all know we have two different mRNA vaccines approved in the U.S. and, of course, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. So they were asking the question of whether the current vaccines would work or if they would need a booster shot. Many childhood vaccines need booster shots. So that was sort of an automatic question for them. They weren't clear if the current vaccines would work or not. So it wasn't necessarily that they were talking about a different kind of booster. That was certainly something that they were considering because they, as scientists, ask lots of questions. But it, uh, they were also asking whether the current one would work. So if that was um, winter of uh, 2021, February of this year, what are some major landmarks in the discussions that were going on in the work that was going on on boosters that take us from that point in time to about a month ago, early August, when we finally hear officially from the Biden administration um, that they want Americans to have access to boosters? Remember, it was NIH scientists, including Dr. Bernie Graham, who were sort of the foundation of creating some of the elements of the Moderna vaccine. And so they already were doing testing on, on some of that. Moderna itself was doing testing on boosters in the spring. And uh, Dr. Bob Cedar, who I mentioned previously, he was doing the non-human primate study, and that was showing some terrific response. So by March, it was six months out from those initial second shots, and they were 
putting the boosters into animals and seeing this big antibody increase and measuring those in scientific ways. Um, so they were seeing some very promising results um, early in the spring and going into March, April, May. And at this time, you're starting to see lots of other entities doing research too. The global group is also doing its own research and different modeling. The scientists around the world, rest assured, have been looking at this intensely in a variety of different ways. One of the defining moments for the scientists I talked to at the NIH was when this group of 60 to 70 experts from around the world had met on a Friday in mid-July. Um, an Israeli scientist, Tomer is his first name, Tomer, and he presented on the fact that there was an increase in severe infections among vaccinated elderly members of their nation. And at that moment, when you top that off with some of the research that I've spoken about previously, when they were doing boosters and seeing an increase in antibody, and then to kind of pile on, you're already seeing research that's showing, and Pfizer has said um, at this point that they're seeing waning efficacy of their current vaccine. So you've got the waning efficacy, you've got bench scientists saying their research is showing that boosters are working, and then you've got this, this news in July that the vaccine's because of this waning likely, they're seeing people who are already vaccinated get seriously ill in Israel. That was a moment, particularly for Dr. Cedar, to say, hey, wait a minute, let me connect the dots and say, we need to take action here. So those, those were the kind of conversations happening at the NIH. And then it was not too long after July, we had this announcement from the Biden administration in August. I was watching that press conference when, you know, top uh, public health officials here in the country said, here is our plan for boosters. Uh, we want them to be available for most Americans um, as of this week when we're talking, uh, as of the, the 20th of September. But there was a big caveat there that was pending the approval of federal regulators at the FDA and CDC. That, to me, seemed like a pretty striking moment where we had this announcement being made before the work had really been done by federal regulators to review data on boosters, to go through their normal decision-making process. Was, was that moment as surprising to you? It was definitely confusing to me and a lot of Americans, right? You have President Biden coming out on stage, and he was very direct. He's, a, you know, eight months after you get your last vaccine shot, we want you to get another one. He was very direct about it. And then it was sort of a back end, oh, but by the way, we need to make sure it's okay with our regulatory agencies. It was very confusing. And I think the reporting on the story that we wrote, um, my colleague Arthur um, Allen and I wrote, really provided a lot of clarity because the NIH scientists were doing this research, and Biden's task force includes Dr. Fauci, who knows these NIH scientists. He speaks with them on a regular basis. And Dr. Fauci meets with President Biden on a weekly basis. And so he is part of this group that's advising the president. There's also Surgeon General Vic Murthy. There's, you know, the CDC and, and acting FDA leaders. There's um, former FDA commissioner David Kessler. All these folks are in a room talking. And these are, you know, the COVID-19 task force that Biden has appointed. And they are reviewing the data and reviewing the studies. And they come to the conclusion that, you know, yeah, we're going to need boosters. We need to get out ahead of this. When you think about the backstory on this, it makes sense that the NIH scientists were seeing sort of the basic data before the FDA and CDC, because each of the agencies have different jobs. The FDA usually approves a product to market. And in doing that, they accept the, you know, research from the manufacturers, they look at outside research, and they analyze that and really 
kind of, we wrote the, the phrase gimlet eye version of reviewing the research. Their question is they want to make sure that it's safe enough for the entire population. It's kind of a risk-benefit analysis. That's a different job than the NIH scientists who are bench scientists reviewing, you know, studies of animal models and watching, you know, the antibody titers increase. <laughs> maybe your article points in the direction then that maybe this shouldn't have been so surprising, uh, this, this announcement from the administration about boosters. I mean, I think watching from the outside, it was very confusing, and perhaps it was surprising, but maybe it wasn't so surprising to a lot of people who had been following this since January. This is Did You Wash Your Hands? I'm Sam Whitehead, talking today with Sarah Jane Tribble of Kaiser Health News. We're discussing conversations on COVID-19 booster vaccines that stretch back to the beginning of this year. You know, since that announcement was made, I think the discussion and some of the disagreements in the scientific community about the need for boosters has, has been made more and more public. I mean, I, I know there are as many different opinions as there are scientists, but, but what are some of the broad uh, kind of disagreements here uh, when it comes to different camps on whether boosters are necessary or not and for whom? Yeah, I mean, we've all probably heard that there were two top FDA officials who are retiring here this fall. And these are FDA officials who had been working on the vaccines. They took part in that Lancet paper that talked about some of the concerns that they had. One of those concerns was this idea that the rest of the world doesn't have the same vaccine access as the U.S. And it's this idea of equity and whether it's moral for a third shot to be given to folks who already have two doses and have some level of protection. And so I think that's a real question. And you've seen in the last week, the Biden administration coming out announcing more doses being donated or, or given to the rest of the world. And so that is certainly a conversation at higher levels about the equity that the U.S. and other wealthy countries have um, compared to other countries that don't have large vaccination campaigns and don't have the same access. And I'll note that lots of wealthy countries have gone ahead and done boosters at this point. The U.S. is certainly not the first one. Israel is not the first one. Other ones are doing boosters at this point. There's also the other question of exactly what you're trying to tackle. And I've talked to several um, leading doctors and folks on the advisory boards about this. And that is the question of, well, if you're not going to get um, seriously ill, do you need it as much as somebody who hasn't been vaccinated? And that is a question really that looks at that risk-benefit analysis. And for the FDA to have come out this week and said that 65 and over need that booster or, or recommended for the booster, that's really kind of a, a signal that they understand that the vaccines are waning. But when you're older, you may need it um, faster than folks who are younger and healthier and their antibody response is stronger. So the questions kind of to summarize it up is kind of the equity question across the globe, which is a fair question to ask. But there's also the question of risk-benefit analysis you know, if you're a healthy person and you have a strong antibody response, do you really need that extra shot? Um, and why do you need it? Do you need it because you want to avoid hospitalization? Or do you want to avoid getting sick altogether so you don't transmit it to somebody else? Yeah, it's it's that kind of latter question um, that I am just personally fascinated by. Have you heard from any of these experts that you've talked to about a really good way to, to, to think about that latter question? Um, because I've had conversations with, with people who say, give me any ounce of protection I can have. <laughs> um, and others who, who are maybe more in the camp of, well, I don't want to go through that process again. Do you understand that there's confusion about that? Is that a symptom of poor communication from federal officials? 
Well, it's just, you know, I think we're all living through this very kind of scientific, messy time, science in real time. It's going to be confusing because science is all about asking the questions and getting answers, some of those answers you don't expect. I think, you know, when I talk to the NIH scientists, particularly Dr. Cedar, he emphasizes this idea that if you don't want to get sick, if you don't want to transmit it to a young child or to somebody who is, um, you, you just don't want to expose it to, then you probably want to go ahead and get the booster because it will decrease your chances of getting sick at all. On the other hand, if you're looking at it from a population standpoint and an equity standpoint, do you need to vaccinate everybody with a booster when they're not the ones showing up in the hospitals? I mean, the folks who are filling the ICU beds in the U.S. so far have been the unvaccinated. It's all very confusing because we've been watching this and hearing from so many different entities I mean, remember, Pfizer and the companies started announcing that they would apply for boosters before the FDA even scheduled a meeting on boosters for its advisory committee. So we're hearing it from so many different sources. The bottom line is, is the overall research shows that vaccine efficacy is waning. Now, what that means going forward five years from now, we don't know the answer to that question yet, but we do know that the vaccines for the mRNAs, uh, the, the efficacy is waning. And Johnson & Johnson just came out with some great data showing that their vaccine boost also increases protection. So if it increases protection and if the FDA is telling us that their analysis of the research is it doesn't cause any more adverse reactions than the second dose, any more significant for the um, majority of the population, then maybe I'll listen to the scientists and go get the boost. On the other hand, you know, when you listen to the FDA meeting, the Verback meeting last week, I listened in on it, and there were questions about, say, myocarditis, where there's inflammation of the heart, particularly in younger males. It was unusual and rare, but there were questions about it, and those are the kind of questions that the agencies look at very carefully to make sure it's safe for the general population. I think in the coming weeks, we're going to see the Moderna and Johnson & Johnson boosters be evaluated by the federal agencies. And I think that eventually by Christmas, we'll all have access to boosters, uh, whether it be Pfizer, Moderna, or Johnson & Johnson. Once a booster gets the full regulatory green light for a specific population, what, what kind of logistically happens once a booster is given the green light? So what we do know is the American task force that Biden put in place, they were prepared. Um, in May, Dr. David Kessler, who is on the task force, told Congress that they were prepared to buy extra shots for boosters and have them provided free to the American public. And so you can go get a booster for free um, at the places you've gone before, likely a, a Walgreens or a CVS, get that booster and be protected. Now, right now, what we're looking at is the Pfizer booster will be approved before the Moderna and the J&J &J boosters, but we expect the data on Moderna and J&J &J to be reviewed by the FDA and CDC in short order in the coming weeks. Nothing's on their calendars yet, but we've heard that that data is coming in actively um, right now from the companies. So, um, if you're a Pfizer person, I'd be watching for the signals from the CDC on what the rec recommendations are and listen to them and uh, book that appointment if you think that's something that's right for you. There have been so many opportunities over the course of the pandemic for the general public to kind of see how the sausage is made when it comes to the way that a vaccine gets to the public or the way that, you know, the public health infrastructure in this country makes recommendations and decisions. Were there actually missteps here in this process or is this just the public seeing again another instance of kind of how the sausage is made? 
That's a really good question. You know, I had a story in August about Pfizer's CEO, Albert Burla, coming out, um, pushing for vaccines. He announced that his vaccine was waning in efficacy and at the same time said that he thought a booster would be appropriate. That was uh, weeks ahead of when the federal agencies were ready to really start um, making any public announcements or reviewing that data openly in the public. And I think that perhaps if there were any missteps, it's because as Americans, we were hearing from corporations as opposed to agencies first, um, if you could consider that um, sort of a timing misstep. However, I think really in reality what we're seeing is this messiness of science in real time, the sausage being made, as you said, because the FDA usually has months and months to review applications from manufacturers. And just backing up a little bit, the manufacturers usually have years to do these clinical studies and to produce a product that is viable to present to the FDA um, for, for market. And they just don't have that much time now. I mean, we are in the middle of a pandemic. People are dying. And they're, everybody's moving as quickly as possible. And so if that means the, the, the companies are getting out ahead of the agency's regulatory authority to review their data, then that's what we're seeing in real time because everybody's moving as quickly as possible. Sarah Jane Tribble is a correspondent with Kaiser Health News. Did You Wash Your Hands is a production of 90.1 WABE Atlanta, where ATL meets NPR. WABE's managing editor is Alex Helmick. Scott Wolfel is chief content officer. You can reach us at washyourhands at wabe.org. You can find all our episodes in your favorite podcast app. That's also where you can leave us a rating and a review. That really helps other people find the show. And you can find more stories on the coronavirus pandemic at wabe.org slash coronavirus. If you haven't recently, now might be a good time to go wash your hands. I'm Sam Whitehead. Thanks for listening. Sounds Like ATL is a music documentary series that takes an in-depth look at the artists amplifying Atlanta's famed music community. Built around a desire to highlight Atlanta's diverse and world-renowned music scene, each episode features unforgettable, intimate musical performances by fresh new musical guests, each with exclusive interviews about the stories behind their music. Listen to Sounds Like ATL Saturday evenings at 7 on WABE and WABE.org.